1: Welcome back to America's Heroes Group with a roundtable with the state of Indiana partner DAV. That DAV stands for Disabled American Veterans. October is Breast Cancer, Mental Health, National Disability, and Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Today is Saturday, October 22nd, 2022. Two, 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 two. Our host is Cliff Kelly. I'm Sean Claiborne, the co host. Our executive producer is Glenda, Glenda Smith, and our digital media producer is Ivan Ortega of Scouts Honor Production. And we also have in our studio engineer Lady J, aka Jada. Always holding it down. And we have a partner on the line, Bob Carnegie. He's a U.S. Army veteran from Vietnam and an Indiana State Commander of the Disabled American Veterans. And we're going to talk about the State of Indiana DAV, the end-of-year agenda, and the November 11th Veterans Day agenda as well. So how you doing, Bob? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Pretty good, pretty good. So tell us, what do you have going on for Veterans Day?
0: Huh. Well, for me personally, I've got about a week worth of things to do. Um, But the most important thing I can mention is that the day after Veterans Day, which is the 12th uh, of, of November, at the Hard Rock Casino in Gary, Indiana, we are going to have a tribute dinner to Middle East Veterans. Wow. The sponsors of that are the DAV of Indiana and the Hard Rock Casino.
1: So this is for Operation Desert Storm, Operation Iraqi Freedom. Um, correct okay so yeah so that's pretty that's pretty good so then so then now what so what is, I'm getting
0: no sorry go on, go on. <laughs> i'm trying to get my
1: attention i'm trying to <laughs> focus on two things so let us know what are some of the events you have planned for that day
0: okay so um the first thing that we're going to do there is a a, a special place in monseo illinois that is the uh the Middle East Conflicts Memorial, and it is a, fundamentally, it's the Middle East Vietnam Wall, and it's built along the Illinois River, and it lists all the names from the military that have been killed while we've been fighting in the Middle East, hmm. and every year, they add additional names and additional stones to cover that, uh, that memorial. Wow. And it was started several years ago by the Illinois Motorcycle Association, and they're the ones that built it. And it was no no funds from the state or federal government, all from the Illinois Motorcycle Riders Association, and they have a ride every year. It is an ex- impressive uh, facility it's on the banks of the Illinois River, as I mentioned. And, uh, we have the ability to look up names by, uh, rock or display devices, which are probably 10 or 12 of them mm-hmm. that hold all the names. So there's a computer there. It's lit up at night. It's absolutely fabulous. Well, the gentleman who founded it uh, has passed away, mm-hmm. but his wife and the secretary of that uh, particular location will be with us on the 12th. We've got going to do some special things to display what they do there, and uh, that'll be the way we start off the evening.
1: I got to check this out because it sounds beautiful. So, like and also it's very important to recognize those um, veterans from Afghanistan, Iraq, from the first war in mm-hmm. Iraq, because oftentimes there's just so much—I uh, bad publicity <laughs> or bad press. We hear about the 22-a-day suicides, um, even though most of those are not necessarily uh, uh, the Middle East veterans. We also have this, we have the new era of multiple deployments, where a lot of these guys and and women have been on these multiple deployments, you know, which was unheard of. It's never been done, really, in in military history. We've been going on five, six, seven, eight, sometimes 10 tours, Right. Right. And, and the mental toll that has on you. The I have a good
0: friend who's a first sergeant in the National Guard today. He's got over nine deployments. Wow. And uh, this this wall is called the Middle East Conflicts Wall Memorial. And it's in, as I said, Marseille, Illinois, right on the Illinois River. So it's not far from us, not far from you guys in Chicago, not far from me in northwest Indiana. And I can tell you that uh, you can look it up on the web and just get a flavor of it you need to see it because it is very 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 special and the same thing happens at that wall as happens at the vietnam wall you know guys will come and look up names do etchings you know the the the, the charcoal etching of the name plate uh, per se and take that with them as a memorial it it has a it has an effect on people of going to visit their brothers mm-hmm. and as long as their names are etched on a memorial like this, and we go and say their names, they're, they're still with us. Hmm. So it's, it's, it's something that I talked to a group of national guardsmen today, and, you know, I said, this is your Vietnam veteran's wall. This is where you guys go for healing. And it's, nine, it's 80 miles away from us in northwest Indiana, probably 75 miles from you folks in Chicago. And I'm shocked at how many people have never been there.
1: I've never heard of it. To be honest with you, this is the first time I've actually heard of it. I didn't realize. I know. It was I talked. To, I before. talked about it about
0: a year ago on uh, on this show with Cliff one time, but it, it bears repeating because people just don't know it exists. So that's going to be the first thing we start off that evening, and uh, we've got two speakers that will speak. Uh, the first person that will talk is from the Road Home, which you guys know very well. Um, and, you know, that's the, the organization that's part of Rush Medical Center that does work specific to veterans for PTSD, TBI, and sexual trauma in the military. And they partner with and a, and a loosely knit organization between UCLA, Harvard Medical, and, and Tufts in Atlanta. So... Veterans that are suffering from those things can go to pick up the phone, call, rush uh, road home, and literally go there for 14 days, no charge whatsoever, and get help. Wow! And uh, their their director, Will Beardsdorf, will be with us that evening. I've known Will for quite a while, and Will has served in the army and uh, in the navy. And he has a, a a desire second to none for helping veterans. And then after he speaks, we're going to have Jessica Lynch come and speak about her experience as a prisoner of war in the early days of the Iraqi invasion. Hmm. And she's written a book, and her story is extremely compelling. And as as we publicize this, I've heard a I've heard her talk myself and. Uh, so I've heard her story and I've read her book and, and I understand what happens. But there's a lot of things out there about people that have this and get some notoriety because they are an example of what took place. And there's some stuff that people share and spread that just isn't right. And to hear her story is it's very, very, very compelling.
1: Well, I would love to have her on their show. Um,
0: well, uh that's, that would be a wonderful show for you to have. Um, she'll be coming into town on Friday in the morning. Uh, maybe I'll give Glenda a call while she's in town.
1: That would be great because that's got to be harrowing to be a woman in the Middle East where it's not the same thing as not Candace anymore Once you're, if you're a woman in the Middle East. It's a whole different ballgame and being a POW on top of that.
0: Well, let me, let me just give you a, a piece of her background, and I will not share her entire story, but she was like 18, 19 years of age. Uh, she lives in West Virginia. I believe she was living there at that time. I think she lived there all of her life. And the recruiter came to her house to talk to her older brother, probably two, three years older than her. And uh, during the conversation, as it turned out, he did go in the Army and, and has a has, I think he's still in. He's had an entire career, over 20 years. But while he was, while the recruiter was talking to her brother, she turned to her mother and she said, I'm going in. Hmm. And she was about 19, 18, 19 years of age. So when this incident happened to her, she was a PFC. Wow. Think about that. Think about that. Wow. And I will not share any more of her story because the, to listen to it from her her in her words is just absolutely compelling. But I can tell you this, when I was nineteen years old, <laughs> if this happened to me, <laughs> I'm not sure you'd be talking to me. Man. So uh and and how, how it ended and things like that just just makes you wonder and you look at her and and she's a lovely person and the one thing I will tell you, one of the things as we've been making a plan for her to come to town, um, she says, well, I'm not sure if I'm driving or if I'm flying. Depends on whether I have to have this operation on my foot. She's still being treated for injuries really? 20 years later. Hmm.
1: Wow. That's amazing. Yes.
0: Yes. So uh, we're quite proud and pleased to have her joining us that evening. Um the uh, main thrust of, of, of the evening is those three things, the, the wall and then uh, that's in Marseille and showing that and sharing that experience with everyone in the room. And then uh, these two speakers to, to kind of set the tone for the thank you. And, and today, when I talked to the National Guardsmen, probably about 100 of them were in the room when I talked to them. I, I didn't you know, share a whole lot of information. But I said, you know, I'm a Vietnam veteran. It took a long time for me to even say I was in Vietnam when I came home and put my uniform away immediately. Mm. And I said it was literally, I got home in 69, and uh, it was 12, 13 years before I could even talk about it. And I didn't have bad duty. You know, I'm not trying to paint a picture that I was in the jungle, you know, and crawling around. I, I did not have bad duty. But because of the attitude in this country when I came home, nobody really wanted to talk and nobody really cared. And, and it took a long, long time for this country to understand that no matter whether they liked the politics or not, I still went and did my job. Mm-hmm. And today, you know, we want to do this for the, the Vietnam veterans like myself want to do this for the, the, the Middle East veterans so they don't have to
1: live their lives the way we had to live ours. What do you think? How did it change, like from your from your memory? Because Vietnam, I was born in '74, so Vietnam was sure. pretty much over at that time. And then I sure. was in high school when uh, Operation Desert Storms took off. And then um, I just got out of the military, and when 2001, when yeah, 9/11 occurred, sure. So okay, so when did that when did the psyche change from from your from your perspective, where people well, were finally uh, accepting Vietnam vets?
0: Sure. Well, the first thing, of course, is the politics that was permeated the country at that time. They got they got tired of, of the Vietnam War. They got tired of seeing 20, 30 guys killed a day, reading that in the newspaper, and, and it bothered a lot of people, and they didn't know how to express themselves. So they started to demonstrate, and that, that's what made it very ugly when we returned. But here's a big difference. As they go up, deployed today, and I won't say every single time, but the majority of the times and the experiences I've heard about is a whole unit going and deploying for nine months or 10 months or 12 months or whatever. But it's a unit. Guys that have trained together for, you know, maybe they're in the National Guard together or they're assigned to Fort Polk, Louisiana, or wherever, and they mobilize that whole unit and they hop on planes and they go. And they're together. When I went, I got on an airplane with about 270 people on it, and I didn't know a soul on that airplane. Really? And I was assigned as a person to a unit. So when I got off that airplane, I went to a holding area. They changed my orders from one unit to another unit, got me halfway to where I was going, and I had to sit for two weeks and wait for the highway to be cleared to get to my unit. Because it was during the Tet Offensive when I arrived. Wow. That doesn't happen today because they're sending whole units at a time and coming home as whole units at a time. Yeah, And that's, I'm that's telling that's you, I've ever known. I, right, I came home, I was the only guy in the plane coming home, but I knew one other guy in that plane.
1: Weird. Like, why Why was, how do you actually, how you logically you put that together? So you just, so you went to, I'm assuming you went to BASIC and then you did your yep. AIT. And then from AIT, yep. they, they said, okay, these are your orders, you're going to go here.
0: I'm going to Vietnam, wow. and, and I was assigned to the 9th Infantry. That's wow. the paper I had in my hand. When I landed at an airport that was north of Saigon called Benoit, they had a, a, what was called a holding station there, where you slept for a couple nights while they finalized your order. When they looked at my orders, they said, no, nah, we don't want to send you to the 9th Infantry. We're going to send you to the 1st Signal Brigade and the headquarters for the, this, this unit. It is in saigon and that's where i went and then once i got there my final orders was about five miles away from where i was maybe 10 miles away And we couldn't get through because the highway was was fighting going on because of the pet offensive so i stayed at the whole at the holding area for my final assignment for probably a week to a week and a half until it was the road was clear and, that, and I got to my unit as a replacement for a person who was already gone. Wow. And so that's how they were moving people. Now, that's not to say that as we first started to build up in Vietnam, we didn't ship whole units over. We absolutely did. Put mm-hmm. A lot of them went over
1: on boat. I'm assuming like the 101st Airborne probably went as a unit. Sure.
0: Sure. And so when they got there, that was fine. But they. And, Today, if they send the 101st Airborne or pick any unit you'd like, they know when they get them ready and start going through their manpower allocation that nobody's going to be ending their tour during the next nine months while these guys are over in Iraq or Afghanistan or Kuwait or wherever it may be. But back then, they didn't look that deep. So if a guy went over with the 101st Airborne, they'd probably check to make sure they had more than six months to go. And then... When they got to their, their 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 time to leave, they said, "Hey, we got to replace this guy." So they go to that pool I'm talking about, look for somebody who had the right MOS, and maybe change their orders and send them to replace that guy at the 101st. Wow, one at a time. That's, so it, that makes that, it weird, that part I think that part I think is a, a huge difference mm-hmm. because that unit is a much more cohesive thing. And yeah. take care of each
1: other, you know, because they know each other. Right, exactly. So, like you, so you're with you like it's, it's like being a in a, a temp at a temp agency. Exactly correct. One guy one day, the next thing that guy's gone, and then and and the somebody there. Yeah, and the, the unfortunate thing is, and this is one thing which is an, a, a blessing. It's a blessing, uh, but it's 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 it's, uh, it's it's bittersweet, which is the fact that casualties deaths have right. decreased yeah. substantially over the last. 30, 40 years in Vietnam like 56 thousand people died but yep. during you know Iraq and Afghanistan the 20-year war just like Vietnam was a 20-year war we lost right. less yeah. than 7 thousand people you know but you have a lot more people who are coming back home who are paraplegics they can't they don't have their legs their arms they the technologys gotten to the point where if we just get to you within a certain amount of time because I was a medical company you can it can save your life but exactly, exactly correct but your body may might not be the same after that. Let me explain to you. <laughs> so, first off, you're correct. A lot,
0: probably a lot more amputees and, and, and missing limbs, for sure. For sure. The other thing that is different. Um, you guys today, you know, are suffering from bad water, and but we and, and burn pits. But we had burn pits over there. They just never even identified that was a problem. Never came up. Hmm. We had the same pit burning in the middle of my unit that you guys are talking about today, and, and but never was it discussed when we came home that we might be, have been exposed for 12 months to a burn pit in my unit. My unit had about 1,000 guys. I can guarantee you, you could see the smoke rising every single day. And so that's one thing that that was different. Um, the other thing I think that... that was different is absolutely that singular thing man I, I, on my way home on an airplane after I got out I, I, I you know landed in San Francisco and that's when I got flagged out of the military at that particular point because my my time was so short in the military that they didn't even want to reassign me so they let me go home. I got on an airplane flying home to Chicago on a red-eye flight at 10 o'clock from San Francisco sat next to two sailors that were going to Great Lakes to start boot camp. And I said, boys, I'm out. You guys are going. Let's enjoy ourselves for the next next four hours. Mm-hmm. But that was it. You know, there was nobody around me I knew or anything like that. So that, that was one problem. And I think because of that, you didn't have that friend of yours that you served with that you could pick up the phone and say, hey, man, I'm hurt. Mm-hmm. Because once you came home, your guys were still in Vietnam. So today, I think that there are differences in the knowledge that we have and how we treat people and and, and, and that we're looking for those injuries for people as we're, as we're helping them get out of the military. I know when the guys I talk to that are getting out of um, the Middle East, when they come home, they have a time of about 10 days sometimes, the guys around my house where they go down to, to Texas at one of the big bases down there. Fort Hood, I think, is the one these guys go to. And they're down there for nine or ten days, and they have all kinds of debriefing sessions and meet with the VA down there and check them out to make sure. Now, now some of that is good and some of it is bad. Um, those guys that are coming home and they're saying, uh, well, how do you feel, you know? Well, if the guy wants to have a career in the National Guard or the Army and they've just finished up with nine months, they're going to say, "I'm great. Send me home. Let's get out of here. I'm ready to go." No matter what they're feeling, and that's a bad thing.
1: Wow, Bob Carnegie. It's always a pleasure to have you on our show. You always give us some great information, some great stories, and then also I really am looking forward to seeing that memorial for the Middle East veterans out in in uh, in Indiana. So let us know. No, it's my, a, no, where, it's in Marseille, It's Bob in Marseille, Illinois. Marcel, Illinois. Yeah, yep. that's and, and let, let me get tell you that if anybody wants to
0: go to our event on the 20th go to a website it's called middle east tribute 2022. 2022.everbright.com
1: that's bob carnegie u.s army veteran from vietnam and the indiana state commander of the disabled american veterans Veterans service organization thanks for your time thank you talk to you later this is america's heroes we'll be right back